Do you ever hide behind other people when you're taking a group photo? Or feel afraid of asking for help because you don't want to inconvenience people? Dana Grash says these could be symptoms of pride. It's not just boastful, obvious, self-centered behaviors, but also belittling habits that could indicate a significant battle with pride. And the Bible says God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Today, Dana will guide you through five characteristics of prideful people as communicated in Habakkuk the Prophet's conversation with God. If you met me in my 20s, you would have met a very fearful woman. I was afraid of my shadow. I was afraid of the dark. I was particularly afraid of public speaking. Doesn't God have a sense of humor? My husband Bob and I, as we approached our wedding day, had a heart to share the gospel at our wedding. And I was so excited about this. I believe that marriage is a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of Christ's love for the church. And we wanted so much to tell everyone that we were going to do our best to paint a beautiful picture of Christ's love with our marriage. But I chickened out. Not that I didn't want to be a good testimony. I just couldn't get myself to say what was essentially three or four minutes of words in front of the audience of roughly 250 people. Couldn't do it. I was terrified. But my fears went deeper than fear of the dark and fear of speaking in front of people. It really was a fear of being found out, a fear of being known. If people really knew who you were, if people really knew your secrets, that terrified me more than anything. And I came to a certain point where I just got so tired of being afraid that I began to just press into it and said, Lord, I don't want to be afraid anymore. Show me how not to be afraid. And I got to tell you, he didn't go easy on me. He took me through a process that made me realize that my fear was sin. And he didn't really feel sorry for me. He needed me to confess it and to repent. It was during that time that the Lord gave me a treasure of what I consider to be my life first. Let me read it to you. It's from Psalm 25, verse 14. And it says, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. This verse just jumped off the pages at me. And uh, do you recall when we were talking about hearing the voice of God that it just has weight. And I read that whole psalm that day, and none of it had weight the way that this one did after I had just prayed, Lord, help me to stop being afraid. And then he shows me a verse that says, be afraid, be very afraid. <laughs> what? But the first part of that verse really resonated with my heart, the friendship of the Lord. If there's anything that my fear in hiding made me, it was lonely. I felt like nobody really knew me and I couldn't really share my dreams, my hopes, because I'd be too terrified to try them if I did tell anyone. And I certainly didn't want them to know about my sin, the sin that I was currently struggling with and even the sin that I had long ago stopped struggling with. That was more terrifying to me than anything else. So I rolled up my sleeves, I studied this verse, and I said, Lord, I think what you're telling me is that everything I'm afraid of is because I'm not afraid of you. 
but I don't understand that, so help me. You know, why would we be afraid of God? Do you ever think that when you see the verses that talk about fearing God? Like, He is my hope. He is my faithfulness. He is everything good in my life. He is every turning point I've ever known. So why would I be afraid of that? And so I studied the verse, and I found that the, the Hebrew word there for fear, it basically meant to shake and quiver. And I was like, well, so, Lord, that didn't help me. I don't understand still. So I wrote a list of all of the verses in Scripture that talked about fearing God. And from all of those verses, I wrote my own definition. To this day, I still remember it. It means to worship, to bow before, to submit to, to stand in awe of. I think that's what it means to fear God. And so I said, okay, Lord, I have this list of all the fear God verses, and I'm still terrified of speaking in public. I'm still afraid of the dark, and I'm still afraid that somebody will find out who I really am. Help. I don't understand. And then as I encouraged you in our last session, sometimes we have to study the word and then sit quietly and ask the Lord to help us understand. And on that particular day, I thought, okay, bow before, submit to, stand in awe, worship. I'm going to do it. I just love giving physical act to the things that the Lord is teaching me. So I bowed before the Lord. I got down low, and I said, okay, Lord, I'm bowing before you. I'm worshiping you. I'm submitting to you. I'm standing in awe of you, and I still don't understand what it means to fear God. Will you help me? And I closed my eyes, and I just waited. And as I closed my eyes, I just had this sense that if I had to do the thing that scared me most, which would be to tell someone my sin, to tell someone my past, that there's no way, if God asked me to do that, that I would bow before him, that I would submit to him, that I would stand in awe of him. And in my mind, I began to see that my life was one of bowing and submitting and standing in awe of people in my life not God. It was what people might think if I made a mistake if I stood up and spoke at a stage that kept me from standing in front of an audience and sharing the gospel at my wedding day. It was what people might think if they knew my sin and the fact that, oh, Dana Gresh actually needed a Savior. That was terrifying to me, what they would think and how they would judge me. And God revealed to my heart that I was covered in the fear of man. You see, the opposite of the fear of God is the fear of man. And God has a lot to say about that in the book of Habakkuk because fear of man, as we talked about a few sessions ago, fear really makes us reactive. It makes us mean-spirited. And what we're really trying to do is to protect ourselves. And what we're really thinking about all the time is ourselves, and so that kind of fear, fear of man, it's a form of pride. And Habakkuk's book speaks to that issue over and over and over again. Today we're going to come to one of the important habits of walking by faith, and it's having the right kind of fear, fear of God. Now, just recall with me that the core verse or the thesis of Habakkuk is found in chapter 2, verse 4. It says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, talking about the Chaldeans and their pride and how puffed up they were. 
But the righteous, in contrast, shall live by his faith. So the idea of living by faith, our call to live by faith, is introduced to us in contrast to pride. We cannot be women of fearfulness, fearing man, who are walking out our lives, living pridefully, and walk in faith. They're two opposite directions. You can't do it. Pride is the opposite of faith. You can't move in the way of something if you're going in the opposite direction. In chapter two, God takes some time to reveal to us five evidences of prideful living. And these evidences are called woes. And not only are they God saying, whoa, that's bad, but he's saying, woe to you, because I'm gonna fix that in your heart. And he's talking about the Chaldeans, but I think he is also talking to us and asking us to examine our hearts and to see if any of these five woes are present in our heart. We're not gonna read through every single one of them, but I wanna highlight one verse for each of them. Remember that the people of God are far from God, emotionally and spiritually, and it is these people, these proud, arrogant, puffed up, prideful people that God is going to use to take them into a physical exile so that they can really get to the point of feeling the pain of being far from God. What a thing. Can you think of someone, I mean, I know, looking at the faces in here, you have such sweet faces. Who could possibly not like you? What enemies could you possibly have? But you probably have someone that rubs you a little bit the wrong way. How hard would it be if that person was used by God to address sin in your life? You would not like it one bit, would you? And neither would I. But that is what God is saying. And he's sort of putting a mirror up to the people of Judah and saying, is it possible that some of these things are also present in you. Let's look at them. The first woe we see, and if I were you, what I've done in my Bible is I've circled every time I see the word woe, and I've taken inventory of my heart in that specific area. We see in chapter 2, verses 6b and 7a, that they're greedy and selfish, that it's all about me. It says, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long, and loads himself with pledges, Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? So he's talking about how the Chaldeans would march into other people's land and just steal from them, take from them. And then they would also sometimes make vassal nations. That is to say, this nation was now subservient to them and had to pay them taxes. What right did they have? None. But they were greedy, all about me. They couldn't live in harmony with the people groups that were next to them because they felt themselves to be so superior. Now, we would never say that we feel superior to all the people around us, but we certainly do sometimes act it when we have to have the best seat in the house or when we have to go first in line. I mean, little things prove how much we're thinking about others around us and how much greed is alive and well in us. And I couldn't help but thinking through this. This is not what he's speaking of in terms of the Chaldeans, but when it talked about the word debtors, I thought, man, we really are a culture that loves to normalize debt. The average American household has about $100,000 of debt. That actually sounds low to me based on some of my friends who I know have had to dig out through having tons and tons of credit card debt, home debt, car debt, 
Bob and I have really tried hard not to live in debt. God wants us to live free so that at any time our resources and our money are available for his service, for his use, not to make Dana more comfortable. Are we living greedy, selfish lives? Or are we living thinking about the person next to us and thinking about how does my life serve and lift up the Lord? The next thing we see, the next woe, is in Habakkuk 2, verse 9. It says, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. And it goes on to speak about this, and it's still speaking about stuff, right? But a different tone. It's talking about placing our security in things, our security in homes, our security behind gates. The Babylonians had a huge gate. They had huge, massive, wide walls that horses and chariots could go across that wall. Why did they have that wall? Because they believed that everything inside of it was what kept them powerful, what kept them important. You know, we have the same problem. We place false security in the things that we own, the size of our bank accounts, how much reserve we have to make it through hard times, how big our house is, what kind of clothes we wear, how new our car is. And I'm not saying that sometimes the Lord doesn't bless us with some of those things. And I think that he loves to bless us with some of those things. But are we thinking that that is what makes us secure? It can turn on a dime. And it has in multiple times through history as economies have collapsed over and over again and people who thought they were in comfort suddenly were in poverty. Our security is not in the things that we own. The third woe is tyrannical power. And we find this in Habakkuk 2 verse 12 where it says, Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. The Chaldean people, as they rose to power through the nation of Babylon, they were ruthless. There are paintings and drawings and renderings and archaeological writings about how they would treat their captives. We see in the particular book of Habakkuk, there's some troubling language in here. It's like hard to understand where it talks about you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. I'm reading in Habakkuk 1:14, And then it says, he brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them with him in his dragnet. When I read that, I thought, man, there's a lot about fish in here. And I didn't understand that. What is this? And I dug a little more deeply, and several of the commentaries I read led me to archaeological documents, historical ancient documents of antiquity that described how many of the people groups in that area, the Assyrians and Babylonians included, would often take a hook like a fish hook and stick it into the cheek of a captive, and they would line them cheek to cheek, hook to hook, to march them into captivity. That's horrible. One of the drawings I came upon troubled me so much because it was a picture of an Assyrian king. He had his crown on and he has his royal robes on and he looked so powerful and so regal. But it was a very gory picture. He also had two of his captives in front of him. One was bowing, one was standing. Both of them had hooks in their cheeks. 
And the king was raising a sword to gouge out the eye of the one that was bending down. And they would take paintings like this and they would put them in their museums as they were so proud of how strong and fearful they were as a people group. They were tyrants. They were terrorists. They were bullies. And I don't think any of us are going to find ourselves in a picture like that one of the king, but we certainly do find ourselves putting ourselves so far above others that we're hurting people that maybe God means us to protect. We're reacting to people, maybe in our own homes, with unkind words. We might not carve out anyone's eye, but certainly sometimes we take a good stab at their heart. We can be tyrants with our tongues. Woe to us. The fourth woe is found in Habakkuk 2.15 and several verses surrounding it. It says, Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. Now, I realize that in our culture today, where women sometimes are not treated with respect and honor and protection, the way that God designed them to be treated, that that can be a really inflammatory verse. And it's in there because God was upset about it. It's in there because God was upset about it. And he says, woe to you. This kind of stuff is still alive and well in our culture. And it wasn't just the people that were being devalued. But in Habakkuk, we find that God's upset about how the land and the animals are treated as well. This is his land, his creation, his masterpiece, his art. And there is nothing more beautiful than the pinnacle of creation, his image, men and women created to look like him. Do we honor and respect that? And are we living in a culture that creates honor and respect for that? The Chaldean people did not. And I would suggest that sometimes our cultures also are guilty of exploitation. And the final woe we find in Habakkuk 2.19. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. The final woe we see is idolatry. This is, it seems crazy to me that somebody would carve something out of stone or out of wood and then bow before it and think, you can make me satisfied. You can meet my needs. But don't we do that with our lives every day? When we put things in our heart to take up space like entertainment or money, or power, or our career. You name it, we can make an idol of it. We will carve it into something we can worship with our time, with our talent, and with our money. We're guilty of this too. All of this is bookended by pride because it starts with our core verse where it talks about, hey, these people are puffed up and they're proud. And then at the end, we come back to idolatry, which at the core of idolatry is this whole sense that I can craft my own God. I can make my own God. Proud, puffed up people. People who don't fear God. 
people who are struggling, just like I was, with fearfulness and living that doesn't honor God, isn't obedient to him. The only way I've found to overcome my fear of all the stuff that scares me is to tamp down, destroy, and strangle my pride because that's what it is all about. Do I look good? Do I look capable? Do I look like I'm enough? Now, pride is a funny thing. I don't know why it's so hard to see it in ourselves, but it certainly is. So I've designed an inventory for you. It helps us look at two different types of pride because I think a lot of times we don't suffer with the kind of pride that we see in Nebuchadnezzar when we get to the book of Daniel and all of this prophecy Habakkuk is foretelling unfolds and we see a proud king who wants to be worshiped, who wants to be in power, who wants to be in control, and he says such prideful things. We don't think of ourselves like that. I think sometimes we get to the point where we think pride is the opposite of humility, and all the while we're holding on to a false humility, a belittling of ourselves that's not really a true humility. And what we're really doing is still thinking about ourselves all the time, 24-7. So let me give you a different model. Let's consider that there's one form of pride at one end of the spectrum that's boasting, and at the other end of the spectrum is another form of pride that's belittling. Are we guilty of either of these? I've written an inventory for you to think through this because I don't know about you, but somehow it's really hard for me to see my pride. I have blinders on, and I hope this week you'll prayerfully look through it, but I want to just read a few of them to you and see if maybe, just maybe, this describes you. You might be boasting if you have no ability to say no because you think everyone needs you. You believe the lie that nothing can be done without you. There is a reason that the Lord told us to take a Sabbath. It's because we didn't create the world and it will go on spinning without us. Let's be women that set the tone in our homes to practice the rhythm of Sabbath. Practice the work of resting in God and knowing that he is the one who made this world, and it will go on spinning without us. Philippians 2, 1 to 3, I examined that and I thought, wow, Boastful people collect people and build relationships for the sole purpose of achieving your personal and professional goals. As a woman in leadership, and some of you are, you have to really consider how am I caring for the hearts and nurturing for the hearts of those that I lead? Am I just using them as a commodity? Or am I seeing how are my needs also helping to mutually meet the needs in their heart and in their lives? A boastful person is annoyed by the needs of others and feel inconvenienced when you are required to help them. Have you ever been there? You're like, oh, do you really have to be sick today? Could, could you wait to a day that it works a little better for me? These are the little ways that boasting shows up in our lives. But at the other end of the spectrum is belittling. And I think this is probably the spectrum where I resided in my 20s, constantly thinking about myself and thinking I wasn't enough 2 Corinthians 3, 5 and Galatians 6, 2 points out that when we're belittling ourselves, we won't ask for help because we don't want to be a bother. How good does that sound sometimes? But we're still thinking about ourselves. Proverbs 29, 25 reminds us that you worry about what people think of you constantly. 
In fact, you waste a lot of time fearing what their thoughts might be. What a terrible waste of time. And I don't know about you, but I've done that a time or two in my life. In fact, I delivered a message on the topic of humility about a year ago, and I thought, wow, this is gonna be awesome for the first time in my life because I've studied this so thoroughly, I'm gonna get off the stage and not worry about all the bad things I said. Do you know that I got off the stage after I delivered a message on humility, and all I could think about was all the bad things I said? I am so tired of thinking about me. Do you ever tire of it too? James 3, 14 to 16 reminds us that when you're belittling yourself, you're easily hurt if your accomplishments and work are not noticed or if others are praised. When jealousy is in your heart, when you think, why didn't anybody notice me? Maybe, just maybe, we're pretty good at boasting and belittling. What do you think? Just looking at those few things, I don't know, but I've excelled. And the Lord's brought me a long way. Evidence of that is the fact that I'm standing in front of you today. Because I have overcome, to some degree, my fear of speaking. I still have a little of it. It still rises up in new ways when I try new things, like teaching a Bible study curriculum, which is something I've never done before. But I've decided that I'd rather live in the fear of God and obey him in the assignments that he's given me because there's so much more freedom in it and so much beautiful breakthrough. I hope that as you consider these things, the boasting and belittling, that your heart will get into a place where you're like, Lord, convict me. Call me to repentance. Because I really do think that it's a sin. It's a sin in our lives when we're fearing man and not fearing God. We are born to fear but the right kind of fear is to fear God. Right in the middle of that continuum of boasting and belittling, I think is the place where we're supposed to live, in confident humility. In that place, we begin to understand that life's not all about me. It doesn't revolve around me. My thoughts don't have to be all about me. We don't boast and we don't belittle. Because why? We fear God. We know we exist for him. We want to live obediently. We want to live faithfully. We want to live with a perspective of the little teeny, 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 tiny part that we each play in the great, big, beautiful story he's writing for this world. I hope that maybe this week you'll learn to live there. Now, this hasn't been a real party on the pages of Scripture today. <laughs> um, it's not fun to look at where we might need to go before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm doing this wrong. I confess my pride to you. Will you help me to walk in confident humility, thinking less of myself and fearing you? So let me read a verse of comfort that talks about the fear of God. Isaiah 51, 12, 13. It says, I, I am he who comforts you. I need a little bit of dose of that when I see how ugly my sin can be. I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies? There, you need it spelled out why we don't need to fear man? Like, he's mortal. These people are mortal. God's given us each other to walk closer to him and walk in fear of him, and we can choose to do that, or we can choose to fear each other and be terrified of each other, but it's foolish. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies, of the son of man who is made like grass, and have forgotten, here is where we get to the root of it, the Lord, your maker. When we walk in pride, we walk in spiritual amnesia. We have forgotten who God is, 
You have forgotten the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth and you fear continually all the day because of the wrath of the oppressor when he sets himself to destroy. I, I wanna be comforted by the Lord. What a good thing that he will comfort me even as he reveals to me my sin of living and operating in the fear of man, which is pride. Go to him, receive that comfort this week. I have a little post-it note in my office that I wrote when I realized just how good I am at boasting and belittling. And it's a quote from my friend, Pastor Dan Nold. It says this, what if Jesus didn't come as a humble servant to disguise the fact that he was God? What if he came as a humble servant because that was the closest form to God on the face of earth? He's called us to be image bearers. So if he's called us to humility, then somehow that must reflect the character of God. This message was taped in Revive Our Hearts Studios. If you enjoyed it and want to dig in deeper, grab a copy of the Bible study entitled Habakkuk, Remembering God's Faithfulness When He Seems Silent by Dana Gresh. This is the fifth podcast that supports the study experience leading into a week where you'll take a rigorous moral inventory of your own heart. Learn more at danagresh.com. This podcast was produced by Pure Freedom Ministries in partnership with Revive Our Hearts and Moody Publishers.